15 today. Uh, you know, fruit never grows apart from its source, right? How many of you knew that before? It, there's always a source. Okay, not many of you, not many of you, that's fine. <laughs> fruit always grows on a source, right? It doesn't just appear on your kitchen table. Well, I don't know, it seems like most of you, maybe it does, because uh, apparently you didn't know basic uh, science about fruit, but fruit always grows on a source. It doesn't appear on your kitchen counter. It doesn't even just appear on top of the soil that you planted in, right? It is always attached to some kind of vine in order to receive its nourishment to be able to grow and be sustained. Chris and I have this bad habit uh, that every week or two weeks, uh, when we are about to go to the grocery store, we say this week, this is the week that we're going to start eating healthy, right? You ever do this before? You, you say, this is the week. I'm going to start eating healthy this week. And when you first walk in the grocery store, if you first walk into Wegmans, uh, what's the first thing you see? The produce, right? And so you walk in and you fill up your basket with all these, you know, beautiful colors of fruits and vegetables, and, and you just fill up the basket with uh, way too much uh, fruit and vegetables. But then as you go further down, you pass the ice cream aisle, right? And you're hungry, right? You didn't eat dinner before you went to the grocery store. A bad idea. And you say, well, sounds pretty good. I'll throw the ice cream in there. And you walk a little further and you you get to the cookie aisle, and you say, well, I mean, I'm eating the fruits and vegetables. You know, they kind of cancel each other out, right? And so you, you throw the cookies in, and you, you're hungry, so you just start going and throwing stuff in. Well, we tend to do this, and we buy way too many fruits and vegetables, and at the end of, of however long it takes, what we end up having to do is throw out too many of those fruits and vegetables. Basically, just taking money out of our wallets and just throwing it in the trash can, right? Because it's gone bad. Why does fruit in, on your counter or in your fridge, why does it eventually go bad? Well, because it's no longer connected to a source. It's no longer receiving nourishment. It is at the point where it is supposed to be giving nourishment, but it's no longer connected to anything to keep giving nourishment. Jesus gets at the principle of fruit needing a source in this passage that we are looking at today. Uh, if, if there is no source that is feeding, then we have no nourishment in order to bear fruit. Fruit needs a source. And he tells us that he, Jesus, is the only source that can bear fruit and nourish that fruit in our lives. From chapters 13 to 17, here in this book of John, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the day when he is no longer with them. When he is no longer with them, he is soon to go to the cross, to die. He will raise from the dead, but he will ascend back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he promises that he, he will be with them, in a sense, through the Holy Spirit. But he, in the body, will no longer be standing there with, him, or with them like he is at this time. 
when he is speaking to them. But he tells them, you can and you must still abide in me. You can and you must still have me as your source of life. And what we see today is that we must abide in Jesus in order to bear the fruit that God wants to see in our lives. We must abide in Jesus in order to see the fruit that God wants to bear in our lives. So we're going to look at two truths about the fruit of salvation. Two truths about the fruit of salvation that we find here. And then we're going to look into some application. Okay, everybody good with that? Okay, just making sure nobody raised their hand to know that fruit comes off of a source. So I just want to make sure you're with me here. The first truth that we find is that God cares about fruit. God cares about fruit, and so should we. As we read through this passage, one of the most obvious things that stands out to me is that God wants to see fruit in our lives. That God cares about fruit being born in our lives. And before we go any further, let me just take a moment to define what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about fruit in our lives. The fruit that Jesus is talking about is love for one another. And it's the fruit of testifying about Jesus. But most of all, the fruit that we are talking about is overall likeness to Christ. That we are becoming more like Christ. It's this fruit in our lives that that comes out as we look to Jesus and we abide in him. We begin to look more like Jesus as we abide in him. After all, grapevines, they don't produce oranges, do they? They produce grapes. They come off of the vine and they are the same kind of fruit as the source that is feeding them. We see these things in verses following what we're looking at today, the the two kind of sections right after this, we see that Jesus is talking about love, and he's talking about perseverance and testifying about him, and he's talking about overall likeness to him. But what I want us to see here is that God cares about fruit in our lives. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener or the vine dresser, uh, depending on your translation. He's the gardener. He's the vine dresser that actually grows the fruit. How many of you grow fruits in your garden by accident? Anybody? Somebody does. That's, all right, that's special. But not, not too many people do, right? Because fruit does not grow on accident. There, there has to be uh, somebody planting, or it has to be planted in, in some kind of way, in some way caring for it. Whatever is in your garden, you have to care for. Fruit doesn't just happen. It takes work. At least good fruit takes work, and you have to want it. Last year, my wife uh, got me to build some raised garden beds, okay? She got me to to build some raised garden beds. The problem is that the things you plant in the garden beds, they take continual work, don't they? And so Krista uh, did the work of begging me 
to build the garden beds. She did the difficult work of riding in the passenger seat to Home Depot uh, so that I could put the soil on the carts, right? As I'm saying, I, I realize we're, we're leaving today on a 20-hour road trip that she's <laughs> going to be sitting next to me. Some, so she did do the hard work of putting the soil in the garden beds, right? And, and she even planted the seeds. The problem is that's, that's kind of where it ends. And I realize I'm getting myself in more trouble here, but that was kind of where it ended, what began to happen was that I wanted to see fruit grow. I had done enough work for these garden beds. And I said, you know what? I, I want to see something be produced here. And so I realized that if I don't do it, then we are not going to get much out of this, right? If I don't do it, then there is no fruit. If I don't water it, then there will be no fruit. If I don't do the pruning, then there will not be much fruit and probably not very good fruit. But when it comes to the continual work, God does it. God does not just do a work at the very beginning of our lives. God does a continual work in our lives. The grace of God in your life is not just something you receive one time. He continues pouring out his grace on us as he continues to conform our hearts, as he continues to mold us into the image of Christ, as he continues to draw us nearer to him. He continually does work in our lives. Just like any good gardener, who cares about his fruit and the crop that is going to come up, God continues to care about each one of us and he continues to do work on us. Take a look at verse 2. Speaking of the Father, Jesus said, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes to, so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, we kind of get hung up on the first part of that verse sometimes, right? And we say, well, well, does this mean that you can lose your salvation? If it's a branch in me that bears no fruit, he, he, he cuts it off, uh, he, he cuts it off and, uh, it, you know, kind of gets rid of it. We can't push Jesus' metaphors too far. Okay, this is that's not what Jesus is getting at here. What he's getting at is that branches that aren't truly connected to the vine are bearing no fruit and, and therefore they're not really connected to the vine. So we we remove them. We get them out of the way. But the ones that are bearing fruit, he continues to prune and he continues to work on them. And if you are in Christ, I want you to know that God is going to continue to work on you. Church, if God cares about fruit, then so should we. If God cares about the fruit that is born in our lives, that is born out of our salvation, then we should care about that fruit as well. 
I had a friend back in high school who, who went to one of those, you know, like go to heaven or go to hell plays. You, you know the ones I'm talking about where it's like a person dies and you kind of uh, see, you know, where they go after that. Maybe you don't, but uh, there are such plays. Um, and he went to one of those plays, and after that, he, he came up when they said, hey, if you want to go to heaven, then, then come and pray this prayer with us. And at the end of that, he, he went up, he said the words, he prayed the prayer. Uh, and a few months later, I, I asked him about something that was going on in his life that didn't quite line up. And, and I just kind of told him, I was like, this doesn't really line up with with following Jesus and and what Jesus calls us to. He said, listen, I I believe that night. I prayed the prayer that night. So, you know, what else is there? Why do I need to do anything else? If God forgives me for my sin, why should I do anything else? Why should I not continue to live in it? And friends, all too often, people think this way. We come in, we pray the prayer, you know, we have that, that one moment, which is important. It's real, okay? For those who are truly trusting in Christ, it's important and it's real. But sometimes people come and they say, well, that's it. You know, I've got God's forgiveness and now I just go on with my life as it always is. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we do that sometimes too. I think we do that sometimes too. I know certainly I can be guilty of having this kind of thinking. When faced with some kind of temptation, it can be easy to say, well, you know, it's, it's too difficult to deny the temptation, so I'll ask for forgiveness later. You ever have a time like that? Or those times where we know the Lord is calling us to walk in love and forgiveness when it's difficult, to grow in patience in kindness when it's difficult, and even to kill sin that we have in our lives when it's difficult. We sometimes act like all God cares about is just forgiving our sin. And I want you to hear me clearly. God cares very much about forgiving our sin. And maybe you don't just act like all he cares about is forgiving our, our, our sin, but you actually believe it, maybe. But I want to tell you something. God's forgiveness is not the end of our salvation. It is central. It is the beginning of it. But it is not all that's there. It's not the end. God is working toward restoration. He forgives us of our sin so that we may know him again, that we may be restored into right relationship with him. And as we are restored into that right relationship, he begins molding us. He begins uh, continually pouring out that grace in our lives. He continues to work in our lives. He continues to draw us nearer to him. He continues to to conform us even more to the image of Christ all throughout the rest of our lives. God is working toward restoration. And when we are restored in right relationship with him, he changes us. When we are restored in right relationship with him, he gives us his Holy Spirit 
that we may walk in him, that we may be more like him, he begins pruning. He begins pruning. He begins bearing fruit in our lives right then and there. But he also prunes. Throughout the rest of our lives, he prunes. He begins growing that fruit all the more. He keeps working on our hearts. But I want you to see that not only does God care about fruit in our lives, God cares about fruit in our lives, and so should we, but he not only cares about fruit in our lives, he cares that his son, Jesus, is the source. He is the vine that bears that fruit. God has chosen his one and only son to be the source of our salvation. And there is nothing else And there is no one else. There is no other source. And so what we need to see is that Jesus is the vine and we must abide in him. God cares about fruit and so should we. But Jesus is the vine and we must abide in him. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. You notice that little word true there? You ever noticed that before? He says in verse 5, I am the vine. But in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. In the Old Testament, Israel was often pictured as a vine. If you look at the end of chapter 14, just before 15, uh, at the very end, Jesus had been in the upper room. He says, come now, let us leave. And they're on their way out uh, to the Mount of Olives. And as they probably are passing the temple over the temple is a golden vine there's a golden vine that represents israel and throughout the old testament god talks about israel as the vine but in isaiah chapter 5 he says you are my vine but you're not bearing fruit you're not bearing the fruit what jesus is saying here is that I am the true Israel. The promises of God, they come through me. The one that you need to be attached to is me. It's not simply a nation. It's not simply a bloodline. It's not simply from being from a particular place or a particular people. Jesus says, I am the true Israel. I am the true vine, and to have salvation, you must be found in me. It's not just the Jewish people. It's not just the nation of Israel. But all who put their trust in Jesus may come into this salvation. All who trust in Jesus are the people of God. All who trust in Jesus can be restored to right relationship with God and and be changed and be given abundant and eternal life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Friends, there is nothing else that we can be connected to to bear fruit in our lives. There is nothing else that we can be connected to to find salvation. There is nothing else that we can try to connect ourselves to to have eternal life. Jesus is the true vine. In verse 4, take a look. He says, remain in me. Or your translation might say, abide in me. 
and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is promising, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit in your life. If you abide in me, I will abide in you, and you will bear fruit in your life. Now, for some, it may be fivefold. For some, it may be thirtyfold. For some, it may be a hundredfold. But if we are abiding in Jesus, he bears fruit in our lives. We don't go off and try to bear fruit. We abide in him, and we walk in him. And he molds us and he works on our hearts so that he is bearing fruit in our lives. Verse 5, you've probably heard this before. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me or abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, you can put on the show. You can put on the show and you can act like you are bearing fruit in your life. You can do your best to work hard to bear fruit in your life. There are a lot of things that you can do, but none of it, none of it apart from Christ is lasting fruit. None of it apart from Christ is the fruit that God intends in the lives of his people. None of it is the fruit of a truly new heart. That kind of fruit can only come from dependence on the vine. The love that God calls us to can only come from dependence on the vine. The, the testimony to Christ and, and, and what comes out of it, people coming to see and know and trust and eventually and abide in Christ, that kind of fruit can only truly come when we are in the vine, looking like Jesus, both on the outside and on the inside, can only come from abiding in the vine. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that God changes lives through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. He forgives us of our sin and he begins restoring us up until that day when we go to be with him and he restores us in full. From now, from the time you believe in him and you trust in him, until that day, he will be continually bearing fruit in your life if you are abiding in him. God didn't send Jesus just so we could be forgiven and then just go on with our lives as, as they always were. He sent his son that we may trust in him and we, he may bear fruit in our lives, that we can have eternal life, that we can have abundant life, that we can have the life that he meant us for. And it's only found in the vine. It's only found in Jesus. God the Son, truly God, truly man. And when we trust in him, we can know God and bear fruit in our lives. So the question is, how do we abide in Jesus? How do we abide in him? 
great. Abide in Jesus, right? That's, that's all good and everything, but how do we do it? I want to show you four ways. Well, three ways and then a sum. First of all, we take in his word. We take in his word. Notice I'm not just saying we read his word, but we take in his word. Twice, Jesus tells us that his word is a way to abide in him. In verse 3, he says, You are already clean, speaking to the 11 who are still with him. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He's saying, you are abiding in me. You are taking in my word, and therefore you will see fruit in your life. And therefore God is pruning you through my word. God's word prunes the branches. God's word works on us. Through his word, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, and he is changing us through his word. We begin to desire the things that God desires. We begin to love the things that God loves. We begin to walk the way that Jesus walked. (coughs) Excuse me. That was just in case you fell asleep, wake you up a little bit. We begin to walk as he walked. But it has more than just reading in mind. It's taking it in. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 here in chapter 15. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Jesus is calling us not only to remain in his word, but for it to remain in us. When we go to Scripture, we are not seeking just to get in the Word. We are seeking to get the Word into us. We're not just looking to to read it as an intellectual exercise. It's not just so that we can know more doctrine. That's good, and we should know more about God, but it is to get it inside of us. It's to get it inside of us. it's to get it inside of us. We can read God's word every day, and we can know it better than anyone else, and yet we can still not abide in it. We can be in it without getting it into us. So how do we do it? How do we abide in it? Don't just read the word, but reflect on it. Reflect on it. Let it sink into your heart. Think about how it should be changing you. Don't just get in it just to read it. Get in it to reflect on it, to let it into you. And as you approach God's word, don't just read it and then decide whether you are going to obey it. Don't don't just get in it and then decide whether you are going to believe it. Come to God's word saying, yes, Lord. Even before I read it, whatever it says, I'm saying yes. And let his word get into you. To abide in Christ, we take in God's word. And we abide in that word. But secondly, to abide in Christ, we pray in dependence on Jesus. 
In verses 7 and 8, Jesus says that if we abide in him, in his word abides in us, then we can ask whatever we wish. Verse 8 clarifies that this whatever we wish is about fruit. He says, this is uh, to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let me ask you something, church. Do you abide in prayer? Do you abide in Jesus through prayer? I mean, do you really pray? Do you really go to the Lord in prayer? Or is it something you just kind of do out of obligation, out of habit, before you eat or before you go to sleep? Just kind of throwing up a prayer and, and, and just, you know, that it, it is what it is. Okay, you know, I can check it off my list. I've prayed. Do you just pray because someone told you that you need to or that you should? Friends, if you want to see the fruit of God in your life, then we must go to him in prayer. Church, if you want to see the fruit of God coming into and out of this church, you must go to him in prayer, in real and serious prayer, as if he actually answers those prayers, as if he is actually listening. Jesus invites us in to pray. You know why? Because he is always listening, and he is always ready to give. He is always ready to prune. He is always ready to work in the lives of his people and through the lives of his people. If you want to see God working, if you want to see God bearing fruit in you and through you, you have to pray. You have to pray. Pray when you're at home. Pray. Ministry teams, pray together as your ministry teams over that ministry. Church leaders, elders, pray together. Continue to pray together for this church, for this body. And church as a whole, pray. Go to him in prayer. He invites us. He invites us with eager expectation to come to him in prayer. I can't tell you how many times I've had to learn this lesson of prayer. And even this week, as I was looking in John 15, I had to learn the lesson of prayer all over again. And I have to learn it over and over and over and over because I so easily forget it. That's why we abide in God's word. It's because he does remind us. And he does invite us through his word. And he does remind us how good it is. And he continually works on us. It's so easy to forget to pray. Especially as Americans, right? We have so many resources. We have so many other things that we can look to in order to seek fruit in our lives and through our lives. As churches, we can look to all sorts of things, other resources, and yet the one resource we need and the one resource that is worth anything is Jesus. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing that is lasting. Lord, forgive us. 
Forgive us for not coming to you in prayer. Forgive us how we often seek to find fruit in other things. Forgive us, Lord. We can only bear fruit by abiding in Jesus. And so we must pray. But the last one, the greatest application that Jesus gives here is to live in love. It's to live in love. He launches into this from verse 12 to verse 17. He reminds his disciples, live in love. I have given you the love of the Father, and I have remained in his love. I have continually been filled in his love so that I can give it to you. Continue to fill up on my love so that you may give it to others. I tell people this all the time. I told it to the group in Colossians uh, this morning. It might be a a mind-blowing truth for you, but whatever you are filled up with, that's what you're full of. Incredible, right? I mean, you've got to be a genius to think of these kinds of things. But it's true. Whatever you are filled up with, that's what you are full of. If you fill up a container with salt, what's it going to be full of? Salt. Some of you got it. That's right. And then what's going to come out when you, when you shake it? Salt. What's going to happen if you fill it up with pepper? What's it going to be full of? Pepper. What's going to happen when you shake it? It's going to come out, right? Okay, y'all are starting to lose this. I'll just move on. But whatever you are filled up with, that's what you're full of. And that's what's going to come out of you. Fill up on the love of Christ and it is what is going to come out of you. It is the fruit that is going to be born in your lives. When we experience the love of the Father and we see the great love with, with which he has shown us in sending us his one and only son to die on a cross and rise from the dead so that we may come into that love, When we fill up on that and we experience that, that love can fill us and it can come out of us. But friends, we still must choose it every day. We still must choose to walk in it. And we can choose it because his spirit lives inside of us. In the end, abiding in Jesus is living completely dependent on him and no one else and nothing else. We are completely dependent on him. The heart of discipleship is not how much doctrine you know. We want to be growing in that. It's important, but it's not at the very heart. It's not the end of it. And the heart of discipleship is not just your behavior. Again, we, we act like Christ. We walk like him. Both of those are important, but ultimately, The very root of your discipleship, of being a disciple of Jesus, is your dependence on Christ. It's being the branch that abides in the vine. The fruit comes out of that. You can't get that reversed. Vines don't grow from branches. It's not the fruit that grows vines. It's the vine that grows fruit. We abide in him in complete dependence on him. Friends, are you turning daily to Jesus? Are you abiding in him? 
turning to him as a one and done thing is not what he calls us to. He calls us to abide in him throughout his lives, or throughout our lives. We need to take care to keep abiding in him, to keep turning to him in dependence every day. Because it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to start to drift out of that. Isn't it, isn't it so easy to let the distractions of this world be the thing that we start trying to attach ourselves to? The song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But the good news is that the Lord prunes us. He prunes us as we abide in him. So we can say, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy, cart, there, thy courts above. And Jesus tells us in verse 11 that the joy, of, or that the, uh, joy is a result of by abiding in him. God's joy as we abide in Jesus. And we will have everlasting joy in him. I'm going to ask the band to, to come on back up. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you turning to him daily? Are you turning to him in his word? Are you turning to him in prayer? Are you turning to his love that he may continually prune us and that he may continue to bear fruit in our lives? Jesus says, turn to me, abide in me, and I will change you. I will do something in your life. I will not just, just take you and then just kind of walk off and leave you. I will hold on to you. And you can abide in me. This morning we're going to be celebrating communion. If you didn't take it, uh, if you didn't take your uh, communion piece in the back, you can, you can grab it if you want. But we're going to be celebrating uh, communion this morning. And as we celebrate communion, we remember what God has done in order that we may know him. In order that we may continually abide in him. In order that we can have eternal life in him. And what has he done? He has sent his one and only son, to go to the cross, to take our sin on himself, to take the full wrath of the Father for our sin, that we may be forgiven. But he rose from the dead. On the third day, God raised him from the dead, that we may have life in him, that we may continue to abide in him. Because you can't abide in someone who is dead but you can abide in the living Christ. And so today, as we take communion, we take the bread first. And as we take the bread, we are remembering the body of Christ, which is broken for us. And so let's take and eat it this morning. Jesus' body was broken, but his blood was also poured out. And as we take the cup, we remember that blood that he shed for us, that we may be forgiven and restored. Let's take and drink this morning.
Friends, as we celebrate communion, we celebrate that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and we are celebrating that Christ is coming again. Until that day, he continues to work on us. Until that day, he continues to call us to abide in him, to abide in Jesus, the true vine. This morning, as the the band is playing, I want to invite you to come up. If you have anything that you need prayer for, you can come up and we'll pray with you. I'm going to ask Jeremy uh, to to come on up alongside of me. He'll be here uh, to pray uh, with you this morning. We're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you, just as the Lord does, to come and pray. If you've never trusted in Christ, I'm going to invite you, come and talk with us. And we'd love to lead you in what that means and what that looks like. For now, let's go ahead and stand and sing. finish up singing and afterwards I would love to speak with you I would love to pray with you if you have anything you want to speak about or pray about uh, I'll be in the back this morning come and find me until then let's continue to sing